WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. The North Carolina primary about a month and a half away now. And for the next six weeks, we'll be chatting with the candidates running for city council at large, getting a look at their priorities for the city and why they're running so you can make an informed decision. Our first set of interviews coming up in just a little bit. First today, this past week, City Council passed the 2040 policy map. Now, it is a companion piece to the 2040 comprehensive plan. The map provides guidance and sort of a guardrail for future development and mobility near the places you live, places you work, places you play. The different colors of the map represent different neighborhoods, parks, commercial space, and a lot more. Joining us today on Flashpoint, Sam Spencer, former chair of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Planning Commission. Sam, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. You've been so I feel like local TV news has sort of struggled to tell the story of the Charlotte 2040 plan because it's wonky. It's it's complicated. It's cumbersome. So, so let's get into the weeds of this thing. Uh, we just showed the policy map. Let's start with that. Why should folks at home care whether they live in a neighborhood one or a neighborhood two or if they live near a community activity center? What what can they do armed with that information? With this information, people can know the direction that their neighborhood is going in. And why that's important is because there are so many changes happening in our community. And it's very important to know the direction of your neighborhood if you want to give informed input to the Charlotte City Council, for example. So one of the things one of the major challenges that we faced um really you know for a long time before we um got into this process was that we had these outdated area plans so for example i used to live on the east side of charlotte i was in the eastland um, area plan it was made in 2003 back when eastland mall was still in operation you know not only still standing but it, it was still vibrant and in operation and clearly an area plan that has eastland mall how does that impact people what area plan they're in because i'm sure that's the next question people are wondering yeah absolutely so previously everybody was in an area plan and these were old outdated plans but due to north carolina law they are the number one most important thing we have to consider as planning commissioners and as a city council when we do rezonings as part of that process. So the number one criteria was whether or not something was in line with the area plan. And what was happening was that these plans were getting massively out of date. And Charlotte has been a changing dynamic city for years. Um, We've exploded since the 80s, since the 90s. And so one of the things that we found out in this process, when we started the um, UDO process, the comprehensive plan process, and the policy mapping process, is that so many of these plans were outdated, so they weren't giving good information and a good, and a good basis for planning um, to the planning staff, planning commission, or city council. So at the end of the day, the big important change here, that if you take away one big idea from the 2040 policy map, it's that we have a new updated map um, that reflects where Charlotte is really going as opposed to where it was going 20 years ago. And uh, this policy map is a lot easier to update 
than these old outdated area plans that had to go through a huge community process that took years. I've always said on, on Flashpoint, rezoning is the most important, least sexy topic there is, but but it, it affects everything that we do, and, and this plays into this. And, and it's not too late for people to chime in. I want I have a handy graphic we actually took from the city of Charlotte, and this helps people sort of understand the process, because there on the left, you've got the 2040 policy map uh, that's been passed. You're gonna take that, use that in conjunction with a strategic mobility plan, and then all that is going towards what's called the UDO, or the Unified Development Ordinance, and that is gonna be passed this summer by city uh, council. And, and so folks still have a, a chance to, to weigh in, talk about this, explain what the, the idea behind the UDO, because that's the, that's the big kahuna. Yeah, so I think you can think of it like uh, airspace a little bit. So up here, 30,000 foot view, the, the airplane, that's the comprehensive plan. Um, that's the overall plan, that's our vision for the city, but it's not really granular. Um, we just did the policy map and that gets a little lower. That's like a uh, helicopter level. And that shows what really each neighborhood we're looking at. And then the UDO is the ground level plan. Um, so that's what your built environment looks like. That's uh, things like setbacks, like design standards. And so you put it all together and you really have a comprehensive vision for planning in the city of Charlotte. What would you say to the person watching at home who says, they might as well be speaking French. I don't know what they're saying, but I wanna be involved. What would you say to those people? Absolutely. So f first of all, one of the great things about the current planning design and development department is that the level of public outreach that we've done on the comp plan, on the policy map, and on the UDO is unprecedented. Um, we have never had a you know eight-cylinder, uh, full city municipal government effort on this sort of thing. It's been amazing. So you can go to the UDO website, you can go to the policy map website, you can go to the city of Charlotte website, and there are all these entry points where you can reach out to our planning design and development part department all the way up to our um, interim director, Allison Craig, and you can get involved with all of these. It's, a, it's a, a case to be made for being an empowered voter and neighbor and invested, and hopefully um, just this few minutes we've spent talking with you uh, helps people sort of take that next step um, and taking action and being involved. Sam Spencer, thank you, sir. Appreciate it as always. Any, anytime. Thank you, Ben. All right, take care. Coming up on Flashpoint, we hear from two of the folks running for Charlotte City Council at large. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Starting today, we will be interviewing all the Charlotte City Council at large candidates. First up, a familiar face, former council member who's running once again, Luana Mayfield. Luana, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Morning to you. Listen, we're going to ask everybody the same first question, and then after that, the questions might, might differ a bit. Um, if uh, elected, in your case, re-elected to council, this time it would be an at-large seat. What is your number one priority? Number one priority is our infrastructure growth. We are approving a lot of projects, even though a commission was created to look at how we're growing the city when we still need to replace a lot of our infrastructure regarding our piping that is still over 150 years old in a lot of places. Some projects have been delayed because they don't have access for water. When they first started the project, they thought they would have access and we're approving a lot of development and growth right now and not looking at the impact of a lot of our old infrastructure that needs to be updated. 
I assume part of that is also in your mind transportation because that's a, been a big ongoing issue. And I know specifically this next council, uh, transit and transportation are, are going to be right up at the top of your uh, priority list. Exactly. And a lot of people don't realize a lot of times on that very first meeting, when you're sworn in, you're approving some projects that you have no idea about. You're approving what previous council may have started without really understanding what that yes vote or that no vote may mean for our community long term. You uh, ran, you, you were a district seat for, for I believe, uh, eight years, was it? Eight, eight years, yeah. Yes, eight and years. You ran a couple of years ago for that large, and you barely didn't make it. Um, what do you want to tell the people of Charlotte about? What did they get wrong a couple of years ago that, that you think that they have the chance to, to right now in a field of, of a lot of people? In the field of a lot of people, what I'm thankful for is all of us are either incumbents or for, former electeds, meaning you can actually go back and look at our voting record. So you can see the work that I was able to get done even in a short eight years as a district rep. And I'm not going to say they got anything wrong. You had choices. I'm just hoping that we make different choices this time around. And this time around, I'm elected to come back to bring back not only transparency and honesty to the process, but bring back a level of education of what it is to be an elected official to actually work with developers and the community to move our city forward. What do you say to folks who are like, you know what, Luana, I, I remember seeing her a lot, you know, and she was on the news. And yeah, she seemed, I saw her a lot at, at, at community events and activities and things. That's right. But you know what? I also remember, didn't she tweet some crazy things sometimes, some wild things? So what would you say to folks who, who, who may remember the controversial parts of Luana Mayfield's terms, but maybe not some of the things you did in the community? So I would challenge the idea of anyone saying that anything tweeted was crazy. Yes, I am a person that cares about my community, especially as an African-American female in our nation. We have seen a lot of civil unrest that a lot of us never thought we would see. We are addressing a lot of issues in our community economically as well as when we look at the housing prices. So what I would ask is for people to actually look at my record and look at the work that I was able to get done. We have the CLT Plus app for people to be able to help identify problems as they are seeing them in their neighborhoods because I brought that. We have the growth that we have with our Charlotte Premium Outlets because that was one of the major projects. We're now having a conversation finally again regarding the River District and I put a lot of work into having in writing commitments regarding affordable housing, both single family as well as multifamily and ensuring that minority businesses had the opportunity to be a part of the development of basically a new mini city within the city limits. Uh, for, for folks, I do feel like I need to qualify what we're talking about. You, you, you once talked about conspiracy theories when it came to 9-11, um, and that was kind of... I once shared a tweet. So one, we need to clarify if people actually read what I shared or they took what, unfortunately, a lot of media that have pulled away from actual journalism for clickbait what they said. I shared a question that was a part of an article. That's what I shared. Now, that was eight years ago. Are you the same person you were eight years ago? A lot of life has happened over these eight years. No, I'm hoping others are not either. But I think there's a disconnect at times that elected officials, once you're elected in office, 
you don't have the opportunity to still be you and have individual thought or question. I think that's perfectly so fine. Today, I, I recognize that for some people, what I said, very, no one reached out and actually had a conversation with me about what was actually shared. But when we look at the reality of everything that's going on into our community, what I'm recognizing is that people have an opportunity to look at the work. Was a mistake made? Yeah, a mistake was made. Am I going to take back what I shared regarding police brutality, especially in black and brown community and in working poor, working class community? No, I will not, because that is something that is very real that is happening. And unfortunately, we have January 6th, and we have a lot of investigations happening now because of January 6th, which is a foundation of a conversation in our nation regarding white supremacy that right. we have to have, and we have to have it with honesty and with an open heart. We have one minute left. I want to get you on the record. I will say, say on all those issues, you came on Flashpoint and you talked about those things and and and, and, um, and we appreciated that and it gave right. you a chance to further explain sort of your position on some of those things. I just wanted to... You were the one, you were the only, so that's, that's, that's what right. I, I do wanted, appreciate. I just wanted to revisit. Final question, I'm going to ask all the candidates this. Um, the best thing about Charlotte and the thing that drives you crazy about Charlotte, you've got about 30 seconds. The best thing about Charlotte is our weather. What's driving me crazy is the lack of community involvement in how we grow our city. All right, LaWanna Mayfield, one-time city council member, might be one again, depending on how you at home uh, decide coming up uh, in the May primary. LaWanna, thanks for coming on again. We always do appreciate it. Thank you. All right, take care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. We continue our conversations with city council at large candidates. And joining us now is a Republican Kyle Lubke. Kyle, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, the, the first question I'm asking all of these candidates, um, what is your number one priority for the city of Charlotte? Uh, my number one priority is housing affordability to own and keeping people in their homes if they currently own homes. And what do you think is the best way to go about doing that from a, a city council perspective? So there's there's a couple different ways. Um, so the first way uh, is a um, development side. We need to make it. We need to incentivize developers and contractors to be building homes to own. You can do that in many different ways um, with you know different density bonuses and our zoning code. Maybe setback, you know, uh, modified setback requirements, that sort of thing. But we need to be incentivizing our developers to to build homes to own as opposed to only homes to rent. Um, you can also, I also want to look into modifying our down payment assistance program. Uh, right now, our down payment assistance program only uh, applies to homes that go up to uh, $300,000 if they're a new construction. That's the max purchase price. They're an existing construction, it's 245,000. Know, those homes are not available in the city of Charlotte. And so if we want to actually have a down payment assistance program that works, we need to be looking at it, you know, modifying that. And then lastly, um, one of the things that we're looking at on the Republican side is engaging with the state legislature to give us the ability to have tax abatement programs for low-income and senior residents who are currently experiencing the potential for displacement because uh, their property taxes are going up and they're on a fixed income. So that as well as grant programs to keep those individuals in their homes as well. Uh, you, you touched on when you're talking about affordable housing, but but we're seeing across the city that these investment firms are coming in and buying up houses, and the the regular buyer like you and I or anybody else can't compete with them. What do we do to stop them? 
Yeah, so, um, you know, my fiance and I had this situation um, happen to us. An investor came in and they wanted to, they, they offered a higher price for the home that we eventually bought. And in our case, thankfully, the people who sold us the home said, we don't want to sell to an investor. Uh, we want to sell to actually people that are going to be invested in their neighborhood. So, um, you know, on one hand, it's imperative, it's important that sellers, you know, recognize that. The other, the other ways to approach it um, was floated yesterday, um, I believe, in the UNC um, urban blog about encouraging homeowners association to put uh, restrictions um, on, you know, how many rentals can be in their neighborhood. But that actually doesn't really solve the issue because a lot of, as, as you know, a lot of these investors are coming in um, to areas that don't have homeowners associations. Um, sure. that don't have, you know, protections in place that uh, can be utilized to, to, to deal with this particular issue. Um, so right now, I would say it's really an education piece. A lot of this is outside the city's hands. I mean, a lot of this would be a tax code issue that yeah. the state and federal government would have to be involved in. And I'm looking forward to, when I'm on council, engaging with my partners in Raleigh um, to figure out how best to approach it from a conservative standpoint. Got, got three minutes left. I want to get in a few more things. Um, you talked about affordable housing. I feel like the other big thing facing this next council is going to be transportation uh, and how to tackle it. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is actually one area where I think that I differ pretty considerably from um, everybody who's been in council before, and that's everybody on the Democratic side. There are the current council members or previous council members. We've been uh, chasing after shiny objects with our transportation dollars. Um, I mean, you look at the Silver Line, that light rail that's going to go from the airport all the way to Matthews and not even connect to the airport. And we just need a real shift in priority to investing in our bus system because I'm a bus rider. I'm also a light rail rider, but I talk to people on the bus all the time, and our bus system is not working for them. And we need to figure out a way to make our bus system reliable, efficient, and effective for every single person who relies upon it for transportation. So you should not be taking the 43 out to Valentine to go to work and your shift ends at 10 while the last bus that leaves from Valentine Village leaves at 9.30. You should be able to have a bus that leaves Valentine at 11, 11.30 at night in order to get you back to where you live. So that's what I would be investing in. I'd be investing in frequent, life, uh, frequent bus routes um, and just ensure that each route has at least 30 minute headways. For the last many years, honestly, Republicans ha have been not represented in large numbers on council. Uh, what's your case to the people of Charlotte that that should change? Um, I would say take a look at where we are. I mean, we've been talking about the same issues of affordable housing, of um, transportation that works for everybody, of small businesses that are not being crushed by government. We've been dealing with these issues for decades and Democrats have been in power, um, you know, in nine, two majorities since 2011, at least a seven or eight, three majorities since 2009. And we have, we're dealing with the same exact issues. And so I would say give the Republicans a chance, look and see what our fresh new perspectives and ideas that we're giving um, during this race are, and um, we'll be able to actually address these issues as opposed to just giving lip service about it. And then finally, a question that I'm going to ask all, all the candidates, and, and that is, um, in your mind, in just a few sentences, the best thing about Charlotte and then the worst thing about Charlotte. Uh, best thing about Charlotte is the sense of community. Um, when I moved here, my fiance said, uh, he was not my fiance at the time, but he said, Charlotte will give you what you put into it. 
And I think that is amazing. Um, I have been welcomed and I have just jumped right into being involved in the community. And I love that sense of community that we have. Um, the worst thing about Charlotte uh, is hard to answer because I love Charlotte, uh, but I think that, you know, that's a double-edged sword, what I just said. If you're somebody who's shy and introverted and, and doesn't know how to get involved, it's very difficult to find those opportunities. And so I think that there is an opportunity for us to really get those types of people involved and, and make them a part of our community. All right, Kyle Lubke got engaged the same day he filed. Congrats on the engagement as well. Thank you so much. All right, thanks, okay. Kyle. More flash point after this. As we leave you, come chat with me on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, we're there. And of course, you can always subscribe to our podcast, find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next week for Flashpoint.